when I'm out there trying to sell it. It's really about how the other person perceives it, what experiences that they have that they bring to the art that really connects them with the piece. And that usually has nothing to do with me and everything to do with them. And so it's easier to just let that part go and let them be the one to experience the art that way. Welcome to Emerging Form. I'm Christy Ashwanden. And I'm Rosemary Wettola-Tromer. This is a podcast on creative process. Rosemary, tell us about our guest today. We have someone really special. I cannot tell you how excited I am. And it's, you know, sometimes you you get lucky. <laughs> There's so much of creativity. It's just about luck, I think. And uh, And this is a story about luck. <laughs> so I had I I I have a new album that's going to come out probably in June, the first Friday in June, and it's uh, called Dark Praise. And so the guitar player on the album and I were wondering about what kind of art we might use to mm-hmm. start putting the work out on YouTube. And I thought, I don't know. And I, I'm <laughs> thinking to, to myself, these are all poems about the dark, and and how do you show the dark? Very hard to do, right? Because yeah. it's dark. So I thought maybe black and white photography, and I did a Google search for black and white photographers, Colorado, mm-hmm. and looked at a lot of things that were totally not interesting and utterly <laughs> wrong. And then I found this image that just set me on fire. And it was, it was, <laughs> it was an image of a woman and, and, you know, I was looking at images. That's what mm-hmm. I'm, you know, on, image that search, was the Google yeah. search image search. Yep. And it was an image of a woman who was lying down in a sand dune that was inside a house. And the door to the house was open, and it's nighttime outside. And then you see the moon out the door. Mm-hmm. And, there, and the sand dune continues out the door. Meanwhile, there's this kind of bright white peacock standing behind her. <laughs> the whole thing was so marvelous and so unexpected and so (laughs) astonishing. And I just fell completely in love with it. And I thought this has the sense of play and darkness and possibility and uncertainty. And I just, I couldn't stand how much I loved it. I remember because you called me up. You were so excited. (laughs) (laughs) It was awesome. And so I, and I immediately wrote to Steve, my partner and said, Steve, do you like it? And uh-huh. he's, he wrote back, we need to look no further. <laughs> so, so I went to her website and just looked, are there other yeah. images that she has that we could use? Because we want to use one for each song. And she has mm-hmm. just an astonishing array of provocative, heart-opening, surprising images. Christy, the, the reason that I found her, by the way, because she's not a black and white photographer, mm-hmm. but her last name is White. and it came up on the search i love that so much yeah there is some serendipity for you huh so you know look there it is i was out looking but and then and i thought and as i said to her you know good for you for having yourself out there so much and you had your images up so Mm -hmm. that luck could find you you that's right that's right yeah so i'm excited about how these poems are going to be represented online with her artwork. Yeah, that's going to be really neat. But I think um, you had sort of a different topic in mind for today's show. Is that right? Yes. Well, what drew me to her, 
I'm so glad you kept us on target, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> I got all excited about her art. And and I am excited about yeah. her art. But the other thing that thrilled me when I started researching her before I contacted her, I realized that she had a business background and that she came to art through passion. Mm-hmm. But before she had an art career, she had a business career and she had her own company and she, you know, had a business degree. And I thought, wow, I bet she has a lot to teach us. Yeah. So Marissa S. White is an award-winning artist best known for seamlessly stitching multiple photographs together, weaving personal narratives through surreal and fantastical imagery. Originally a drawing and painting major, she fell in love with photography in college and eventually began incorporating it into her work, creating mixed-media collage. Her work is collected internationally, and she's exhibited across the U.S. and in Europe, most notably at the Crocker Art Museum in Sacramento, California, and... She recently opened True North Art Gallery in Colorado Springs. Let's bring her on. Marissa, welcome to Emerging Form. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be with you again, Marissa. And I've been looking forward to this ever since I first learned about you. And well, let's just start with your art. Will you please introduce yourself and give a little context about how you became a fine art photographer? And I suppose weaving in how you use surrealism. Sure, sure. So yes, fine art photography, but it's not kind of your traditional point and shoot type of photographer. I take multiple photographs and I digitally stitch them together and post-processing, typically Photoshop, but I do use a few other software programs to create kind of these surreal and fantastical scenes. So I actually originally have a a drawing and painting degree. So that was my my goal when I was much younger was to be a painter. And for Mm. whatever reason, I could not paint quite as realistically as I wanted to. Um, (laughs) But while we were in school, they required us to take a whole bunch of different classes to delve into different mediums just to practice. And um, that's when I got introduced to the dark room and fell in love with photography. So at that point, all my work started to become more mixed media collage work. And that's kind of the start of the journey from where I'm at now. Uh, Gosh, I want to say it was a little over a decade ago, um, I took a photography course that was over at a summer in Missoula, Montana, and it was one of the best summers of my entire life. But that's where Mm -hmm. they sat down and they actually taught me how to use Photoshop before I was kind of very much a purist and took me a long time to get into digital photography. But once I had that explained to me, because Photoshop is not all that intuitive and could be a bit of a beast to learn, all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it's like mind blown, doors open, and now all the things that are in my head I can create. So that was kind of an exciting revelation for me at that point. But going back to surrealism, I often say that I use surrealism to kind of hyperbolize emotions that are not so easy to convey in words since I'm a visual artist. You know, I've, Rosemary, mm-hmm. you're a literary artist and words come naturally to you and not so naturally to me. Um, but I, I look to kind of weave in the, the narrative of, of human emotion and uh, anything, really everything that it means to be human is kind of uh, themes that that drift into my work. And so I think, I feel like surrealism is kind of a natural way to express some of those things that are just, again, hard to convey sometimes. That's great. Could you tell us a little bit, do you sort of begin with an emotion or a feeling or an idea? What's your creative process at the beginning? Oh gosh, it's a little all over the place. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes the ideas kind of just hit me out of nowhere. 
Mm-hmm. And then um, there's certain images that I can think of specifically where this idea, I have no idea where it came from, but it was there. And sometimes it sits with me for even up to a year until I can find the right location and mm-hmm. place to bring it all together and bring it to life. And then other times I get inspired by my surroundings, um, the landscape that's out before me. And then the idea kind of works its way into that particular image. Oh, let's place this with this and let's put all of this together. Um, and then there's a third time where I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes I get a little blocked. And at those points in time, I try to just kind of play around. It's like, okay, well, maybe I have no idea what's happening. Um, I'm going to take this image and I'm going to take this and I'm just going to see what they do, put them together, see how they fit. And then um, and then something starts to jive as it normally does when you kind of are working through those creative block kinks and the idea starts to unfold and then it pretty much tells me what it is afterwards and what the emotion is and, and the whole the narrative behind it kind of r- reveals itself to me afterwards. So, yeah, there's kind of three different ways that that all, <laughs> all comes together. Could- I wonder if you'd maybe describe, just choose one of your pieces and maybe just describe it to give our listeners a sense of, if you go to our our newsletter friends, you can see a lot of her work. But if you would maybe just, for anyone who hasn't done that yet, describe an image for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we're talking about the final one that I spoke of with the, the kind of the creative process unfolding um, sure. and telling me what it means after. Uh, sure. So I would I would say actually Trustfall, which is one of my most popular pieces, kind of came about that way. That's the one that you guys see. My mirror flips on this thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this one coming into the water. The idea, that one just kind of came to me to kind of create within the scene. Um, we, we lived in Florida at the time, and it was not a, a sexy part of Florida. It was over kind of Fort Walton Beach. Um, and I would often try to travel to the areas where there were water and more of the Bay areas, not so much the Gulf area. And um, and just take my camera and my tripod out there and just try to play with a few things and kind of see what worked. Um, and the, this idea kind of popped into my head. Um, and I, again, I didn't have any real idea as to what the meaning was behind it at that point in time. But it was a whole fun setup with it was about three feet of water. And I had a big ladder sitting inside the water and had to employ my husband to come in and help hit the shutter. It's a whole long fun story behind that. But it wasn't until afterwards. And this is a part of a series that I've been working on that can consist of about nine total pieces. And I remember sitting there with my husband um, having a hamburger (laughs) um, (laughs) overlooking the water. And sometimes he helps me try to kind of come up with titles for my pieces. And we landed on this one. And then all of a sudden it was just like, oh, you know, light bulb went on. It's like trust fall. That's exactly what this is. And the whole series was really about uh, me kind of dealing with uh, a whole bunch of emotions that resulted from us being uprooted from Virginia and moving to Florida where we had no idea who anybody was. We lived in a retirement town, made I, you know, no friends, all of that, like kind of went through this this little mental breakdown of sorts. Um but the, to me, this piece very much signifies that we have to kind of trust the process, that there's a reason for everything, even if we don't completely understand why it happens. And we may not mm-hmm. ever get to know, or maybe that will reveal itself down the road. But there's a reason mm-hmm. and just to have faith and trust in that. So that was 
Very much part of, yeah, one of those. (laughs) And just for listeners who can't see it at home, so the image is basically, it shows there's sort of a horizon, there are some clouds in the background, it's water, and then it has, Marissa, is that you? Is that an image of you? It is me. Yes, it is me. Woman just sort of releasing, like falling. It's like the moment before she falls into the water, but she's just kind of, you can see her sort of, it feels, it looks like a letting go. Am I describing it correctly? Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think too, when I originally was trying to play with this idea, I was trying to capture that moment where right when she hit the water, but mm-hmm. that one was not nearly as compelling as this one. You yeah. know? So that's where I landed on this piece. <laughs> yeah, there's so much potential in what's happening in the image right now with her hovering just above just above mm-hmm. the water. And her yeah. body is in the shape of a, of a U, really. Like there's this mm-hmm. sense that part of her is falling faster than the rest and... Yeah. And she's just about to touch the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Emerging Form. Paid subscribers have access to all our bonus episodes. For instance, next week you can hear Marissa share about how a really negative critique helps solidify her commitment to her art, how an accountability buddy can serve your creative practice, and how she invites her muse to show up. To become a paid subscriber, go to emergingform.substack.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes so that others can discover us too. Thank you. Here's something remarkable, I think, about you in that you are a creative who also has a business background and uh, you had a minor in business. I read that your mother was, you know, insistent that you that you have something besides art to fall back on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've owned your own payroll company and sold it. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about how have your experiences in business helped you to pursue your artistic dreams? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um Yes, lucky enough, I, I suppose that that I had the business background. Thank you, mom. <laughs> it's definitely mm-hmm. coming handy. Uh, wow. So, yeah. So there's a lot of things. If I really sit down and kind of pinpoint um, things that I've learned that have definitely been useful. Uh, one, especially as it relates to sales, is is you know thoughtful communication and being able to really engage with people and try to understand where they're coming from and and be a good listener within that process as well too. Um, scheduling, how important scheduling is. I think as an artist, especially when you have kind of free reign over your own calendar, sometimes you don't prioritize things or if things don't get put on the calendar, time just Mm -hmm. flies away so effortlessly. So scheduling is a huge issue as well too, or, or, you know, a good thing to put into practice. Um, Goal setting. Honestly, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I've kind of learned from the business side of of everything, you know, once a year. And even so that I absolutely do this with my art practice too. I sit down and, and look at, okay, here's what I did last year. What do I want to accomplish this year? I break it down into um, several areas from how many prints do I want to sell to, you know, what's my social media range? Um, you know, do I want to get into any publications and, you know, how many fairs do I want to participate in and, and all of these different aspects of it. And then I try to break that down into um, more bite-sized accessible um, tasks along the way too, because of looking at it all from a global perspective feels very daunting and a little scary. Mm-hmm. But it's that, um, okay, yes, let's, we'll take the emotion out of it too. I think that's another big thing 
that it helps me do. It helps me take the emotion out of everything that needs mm-hmm. to get done. And and I try to make them all smart goals too. And so for anybody who doesn't understand what that means, it's, oh gosh, and I'm going to lose the acronym now too, right? <laughs> it's, it's like making sure that there are measurable, actionable goals. And so mm-hmm. that there's something that you can easily track. So for instance, I think I, I usually have a, a goal of trying to participate in 10 different exhibitions a year. And so that's mm-hmm. something that I can easily track. And then I look at my goal list once a month, usually at the beginning of the month, and then just track all the different numbers, which I also think helps me to kind of stay on top of it. So if I've slacked off a little bit here and there, then I can jump back in. Or I can decide that, you know what, this goal isn't quite as meaningful as I thought it was, and I'm okay mm-hmm. to let that go. That also, I allow myself the flexibility to add new goals if I want That's to, great. which happened all the time as well. So I think a lot of those for sure um, help me kind of organize the way that I want to structure my year, my month, my days, and keep mm-hmm. me focused on that side of of the business. And it's it's helped tremendously for sure. Yeah, sure. And it's it's so interesting because I think um, I just like to acknowledge here that these are kind of it's almost separate thing, right? The creation and the the creative self and the creating of the art is one thing, but then the selling and sort of the business aspect of it is something else. And I think this can be really challenging for a lot of creative people because, you know, so much of um, identity can be tied up into things and, you know, you create something that sort of becomes your baby and now you're going to sell it. And that's, that's a scary sort of daunting task. Um, but I think in order to be successful, you know, if you're, if you want to make a living or, or even make money at all from your creative outputs, you you have to sort of have that business sense or, you know, you can't just expect people to to approach you. And, you know, maybe it happens to Roseberry that they come up to her and just give her money for poems. I know that happens <laughs> with your newsletter sometimes. But, uh, you know, you, ha- you have to sort of master the business aspect in order, in order to make it as an artist in that way. And I, I wonder how you sort of address those two separate things and sort of bring them together, but make sure that they don't interfere with one another. It's really hard for sure. Um, I can say coming off of the last job that I had, and I worked with the Entrepreneurs Organization, which was also extremely instrumental in helping me uh, learn a lot of business sides of things and and Mm -hmm. how I approach my art business. But they were also very task-oriented. And so Mm -hmm. there was a certain sense of accomplishment for for those people out in the world that are to-do listers and get great satisfaction from crossing off those items on your list. That was me. And Mm -hmm. so... um, I do find myself getting lost in the, the, uh, you know, little endorphin kick of, of crossing, yeah, crossing off those tasks, which also feel like I am getting one step closer to reaching all of those goals, um, which equates to potentially selling work to help sustain my family. Right. And so Mm. sometimes in my mind, and this is again, something I'm still working on it feels like it's easier to work towards those goals than it is towards sitting down and trying to be creative. Mm -hmm. And even though one feeds the other, it's like I recognize that I continually have to put out new work in order to to have those well-received and to kind of continue to feed the beast, if you will. Um, Those, the the creative side usually takes a lot longer. There's not necessarily immediate gratification in any of that Mm -hmm. either, right? So that sense of accomplishment comes later. And so it's kind of that switch, uh, yeah, flipping of the switch really of like, hey, this is 
equally, if not more so as important as all of the business side of things. And so it's just making sure that I honor the time that I've scheduled for that creative output. Um, And I think I had been told by a previous mentor that it should be kind of, you know, the 80-20 rule, you know, 80% Mm -hmm. of the time spent on the creative side, 20% on the business side. I'm probably more like a 50-50 or (laughs) 40-60 right now. So I'm still working on that. But yeah, it is a challenge for me for sure. Mm Do you have any strategies for sort of addressing this thing? I mean, as soon as you turn, you know, your creative work into a a commercial product, you're almost sort of giving it a dollar value. Mm -hmm. And that can be really crushing to the ego. And I think we all know that, you know, the open market is maybe not the best measure of of something's worth. Um, How do you approach that from sort of an ego uh, point of view? How how do you protect your your fragile self as a creative when, when you're going through this process? You know, that that is a great question. I, I'd say early on, the the fragile little ego, you know, was definitely more point and center on, on dealing with emotions and dealing with rejections and all of that, for sure. Uh, and then I had a really good a friend of mine. Actually, she was, she was my ex-boss, but she and I remained really close friends. And she said, well, you know, Marissa, you need to to um, build your rejection muscles. And <laughs> once you build that, then you will just like let these just roll off your back like a duck and you won't, they won't affect you as much anymore. And that has become true over time. So I don't let myself get too worked up over certain aspects of things. You know, I applied to a bunch of different shows. I just actually got rejected from one the other day and it's like, ah, okay, on to the next. And it's really kind of, mm-hmm. I guess, the mind switch of like, well, it's a numbers game, right? like Mm -hmm. dating or like sales, like any other thing, you know, you just have to kind of get through, through an X number of opportunities before one will finally say, okay, yes, let's do this. And so that I think just took time, honestly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, building a lot of rejections. Um, The other side of things too, especially the commercial aspect of the work, gosh, um, there's a whole psychology of price that comes into play too, which I find Mm -hmm. very fascinating and I deal with, or not deal with it, but I have conversations with a lot of my other artist friends too, especially in town here. I live in Colorado Springs. You know, we're not Denver. We're not Santa Fe. We're kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, the price mm-hmm. point for the art is not quite, you know, where it is in these other cities. And some of these artists struggle with wanting to, you know, make a good living. But, you know, well, if I've raised my prices, I'm not going to be able to sell the work. Um, but I'm kind of fascinated by how some people still do. And how there's a certain value that gets placed on that work based on the price that we assign it, based on mm-hmm. our perception of the value of that work. And some of that work still sells. So it's, it's yeah, it's kind of a fascinating thing. Um, and then to play off of that a little bit, too, I did participate in a show here locally. This was a couple of Decembers ago and decided to create some work and price it a little bit lower. And it wasn't my favorite work. It wasn't it was really me just trying to see if I could create something that would sell. I put it for a lot less than I normally do. And I think one piece out of the five that I created sold. And so that was kind of a little note to myself of, hey, create for yourself first off, because that yeah. that's the where all the motion gets put in and people will respond to that because it's authentic. And then don't worry about the price, because if they really want it, then they will find a way to make it happen. And mm-hmm. it, that just kind of seems to work out in that sense. And uh, And I'm actually quite pleasantly surprised by how often, yeah, people surprise me. And I think somebody Mm -hmm. else had told me too at one point, 
what people spend with their own money is none of your business. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And so, you know, they will spend what they want and, um, you know, they put value on different things and have no problem spending like uh, a couple hundred dollars sometimes on a meal, but then won't, won't even want to balk an eye out a piece of artwork for that price. And so it's just, but then other people value the complete opposite. So it's quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. And then I did have, I recently released, um, a smaller edition of some of my pieces, some of the more bestsellers. And I had one gallerist who was a little concerned about that. And she's like, it takes just as much time to sell a bigger piece as it does a smaller piece. People might just want the smaller one and, you know, the cost of that for her and all the, all these other Mm -hmm. things that went through her head. And, um, but I, I kind of, I did it anyway, just as a testing ground, just to see what Mm -hmm. would happen. And I've since taken, um, those to art fairs and I've actually been pleasantly surprised that very few people want the small size. They still want the bigger size that costs more money. Because interesting, yeah. So it's it's I don't know over time and just being able to kind of dabble in a bunch of different things and see what works. It's not always what I think will work, mm-hmm. and so that kind of gives me confidence to move forward. And then and then again, separating myself from the art as best as I can when I'm out there trying to sell it. It's really, it's really about how the other person perceives it, how, what experiences that they have that they bring to the art that really connects them with the piece. And so, and that usually has nothing to do with me and everything to do with them. And so it's easier to just at least, you know, let that part go and let them be the one to experience the art that way. You know, I'm curious about this I mean, first of all, I'd love all this kind of experimentalness, which is the creativity of the business, right? Like, it sounds like you're exceptionally creative in your approach to what if I try this? What if I try this? But I do, I do think then like there was this kind of glorious experiment you did where you're like, well, if I make something I don't really care about and make it cheaper, is that going to work out? So that makes Mm -hmm. me wonder, are there other ways that you can see that you sometimes business, the business part interferes with the creative part. Oh, for sure. I'm sure it does. Absolutely. Can I give you a specific example beyond that right now? Probably not, but I'm <laughs> sure that it does. Um, the other the other way I might think about it too, Marissa, is, I mean, I love how Christy crystallized it, you know, that there really are these two different things and you have this 80-20 rule. That's very interesting. I hadn't heard about that before. Uh, I, I'm I'm kind of curious. What am I? I'm gonna I'm gonna be paying attention to that. But but you know, is it possible? And maybe this is another example of it. How you get kind of hooked on that check off the to do list, and in that way, the business part is a little bit sexier because it's like I accomplished. I accomplished. Mm-hmm. So when when it comes time then to sit down and make the art. How do you, with your schedule, I suppose it has to do with some degree with scheduling. How do you, how do you say, hey, self, it's time for the art part. How do you put it first? Yeah, I usually try to schedule it. So I've got my little book here. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, and then we've got, of course, the little crossed off things here as well, too. But usually it's like a big fat art goes in the schedule for that particular day. Mm-hmm. And I do my damnedest to make sure that that's what I focus on uh-huh. <laughs> and try to turn everything else off. The other thing that works well for me, too, is kind of, I guess, you know, reversing that whole business mindset and accomplishment, too, is like having deadlines So um, here, as of recently, I, you know, we opened up a new gallery here in town and I wasn't able to work on any of the artwork during that time. 
And I had already committed to participating in a small exhibition here in town. She's given me a small wall, so there's really not a lot of artwork that I have to create, which is fantastic. But once I got done with the gallery, then it's like, oh, my God, I have to create work. I have to do it, and it's got to be done now. So I completely just shut out the rest of the world, told everybody else, don't call me. Uh (laughs) I'm not going to respond. And I, and I was able to get, you know, what I needed accomplished done. So, you know, it's amazing the time that one has, whatever we need to get done will expand to fit the time that has been allotted. Right. So, uh, so that's kind of another little psychological game to play Mm -hmm. to make sure that things get done uh, when they really need, do need to get done. There's nothing like a deadline to set fire. Right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's so true across so many genres. I mean, deadlines are sort of how things get done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So kind of playing with those deadlines too, and give myself an imaginary deadline, you know, Mm -hmm. is, is also kind of helpful way. So I do have a few things coming up down the road that I will need to jump on for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mental trickery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for people who are in creative careers who don't have business backgrounds? Like, are there steps you think, oh, well, you could do this, this, or is there a way of thinking that you think if you tried on this way of thinking, it would help you? You know, I I think first and foremost is that there are a lot of other kind of art business coaching, Mm. you know, companies out there. And Mm -hmm. I have, you know, paid for a few of them. Um, One one is called the Art Business Academy and Jason Horsch, who is out of um, Scottsdale, Arizona, has put this on. He's got his own gallery called Xanadu Art Gallery. And um, and he does this program on the back end, too. And it's he's extremely helpful that, you know, there's been a lot of really good insights into that. And, and he kind of looks at it from the approach of, you know, going out and, and trying to get represented by galleries and all kinds of other things that one can do. Um, I did also do one-on-one coaching with another woman who no longer, I don't believe she coaches anymore, but she was actually pretty fantastic. And she had a very good, strong mind, business mind sense about her too. And, you know, I think I paid for five one-hour coaching experiences with her and she was on the ball and had lots of fantastic suggestions. And so, you know, there's a lot of different things, you know, coaches and companies that are out there, varying price points, of course, too. I think the the Art Business Academy was... Uh, very reasonably priced. I think he even stated that he tried to have it set as the the cost of a meal out for two for one Mm. month. And it's basically a monthly thing for about a year, roughly. Mm -hmm. And then once you're done, you have access to everything. And he still does, you know, weekly calls and and helps give the insight into things that are working for the gallery and all kinds of things. So those I would definitely think would be good places to start first. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Well, Marissa, thank you so much for for being with us. This has been really fascinating. I'm I'm really intrigued by the business aspect of it. I've been a freelancer most of my career, and and you know you can't survive as a freelancer without really putting the business stuff front and center. So I, the things you say here really resonate with me. Oh, good. I'm glad. It's a it's a fun world full of uncertainty, right? And you know, That's right. but it's fulfilling. It's fulfilling. It's better than working a nine to five job for somebody else that sucks the life out of you. (laughs) Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. You've been listening to Emerging Form. This is Rosemary Watola-Tromer, and my co-host is science writer Christy Ashwanden. 
Our fabulous audio producer is Leah Shaw. Our music is created and performed by Kira Kopostansky and edited by Leah Shaw. Kate LaRue designed our logo. Jack Mueller, of course, inspired our work and the name of this podcast. As he always said, you must obey the poem's emerging form. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Emerging Form. Did you know that for just a few bucks a month, you can become a paid subscriber and get bonus episodes every other week? Go to emergingform.substack.com to sign up. And if you really want to help us out, leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Thank you.